Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Notable Newcastle Authors. This is Michael Blackslands talking to Dr Elsa Lakumba, the author of Freedom to Belong, From Mozambique to Australia, My Journey of Blended Cultures. Freedom to Belong, uh, it takes your journey from uh, leaving Mozambique, coming over to Australia, and particularly Newcastle. Talking about belonging, it talks about the, uh, the journey of the migrant, if you like, and everybody is a migrant from somewhere mm-hmm. or other. Your story, uh, so it's, it started after you'd finished university in Mozambique, and uh, you eventually got a scholarship over here, is that right? Yes, that's correct. I got a scholarship to come and do my master's degree, master's in social change and development at Newcastle Uni. I mean, you found though, and if you could tell us a bit about this, it, it was quite a challenge for you. I had a few few situations where I basically had to deal with, with culture shock. One of them was simply the way people do, I would say, neighbourhood life. I remember when I moved in, moved in into my unit, I just went out, I wanted to see the people, so the neighbours. Yeah. And I, for instance, I did notice there was barely anyone outside of the house. So I can't from a highly populated area and not having people on the street it was weird. One of the other things that I noticed that you said was was was, was quite different and uh, you said a lot of people probably don't know a lot about Mozambique and the idea of being on time and lateness in Mozambique this this sort of being on time letting people know and that type of thing it was very different. <laughs> Completely different and I guess that also has to do with the fact that time on itself it's a social construction where I'm coming from, we construct time in a different way. So coming here, having to adjust to the timings and having to attend a social event, even an informal one that has beginning and end, it was also weird to me. Yeah. But the main reason, I guess, has to do with the fact that when I came here, I was still interpreting life based on my social construction. Yeah. And I guess that was the problem. So it took me a while to realize that. It's not actually the way. Mm. So there's so many differences that I've noticed. As I said before, neighborhood life, now the concept of time, how we construct and understand time and the respect and value that people attribute to time. Mm. That was another shock, structure, routine and all of those elements. And even small things like camping. All right. Mm. (laughs) Camping. We have this mindset that our life is almost like an everyday camp. Right. (laughs) So I'm I'm wondering why on earth people will pack everything they have in their house, take off and go camping. Right. Leaving the comfort of their bed, tap water, running water, electricity. So so that was me my first year trying to make sense, wow, these white Mm. people are strange. In August 2018, I attended a birthday party and someone asked, where are you from? I knew what they meant with that question the belonging issue. I took a deep breath and responded, I'm from Newcastle. 
I also knew that that would not satisfy them, but I was still struggling with understanding of belonging myself, and I did not want anyone to mess with me again. I tried to block the conversation by saying I was from Newcastle, but the person insisted. No, I mean, where do you originally from? I was born in Mozambique, I responded, but I decided to add more to my answer. I explained that even though I was born overseas, I personally refused to be seen as more or less than Australian. That is not my goal. I refuse to be mentally boxed into a place or space. Yes, it is true that I was born there, but I cannot accept being confined to belonging to where I was born alone. I have seen a lot, lived in a new culture long enough to go through transition. Should that not count? Why is it that all that matters is where you were born? Is that it? I was and I am done with this personal debate. I added that I belong anywhere, everywhere. After all, we are all migrants on this earth. We shall die one day. And where were you born will no longer matter. Why choose and stress out to defend one nation over the other, comparing which one is better, when you can be and have the privilege of calling two countries home. So this is me, my journey. I'm fully embracing it. I'm not only embracing the duality of nations in me, but the ever-growing inner me. Belonging is not about a place. It's about having a spiritual identity of who you are and where you're going. If this is clear, you can live, move, and relocate to anywhere on earth with a good sense of peace. Then you become a citizen of the world. You belong to the world. Thanks for listening to Chats with notable Newcastle authors. We have an inspiring array of e-learning and author programs for you to be part of. To access them, visit Newcastle Library's website or app. You were here uh, for the first couple of years then and then went back home and then had to accept, look at the changes there. And, and, And this leads us up to the book, The Freedom to Belong, where you had gone backwards and forwards from... Australia, which uh, you say was your host country, back to uh, your home Mm. country. Now, freedom to belong is something that you say, my journey of blending cultures. And that is really the message I think that you're trying to get through to people with that whole, whole working out of being a stranger in a strange land that everybody may be a stranger in some land, but some other lands are also home. And that idea of being able to accept who you are and where you are, I think, is, is that true? And is that, was that one of the, the launching pads to, look, to mm. look at the book and what you're trying to, trying to get out? Mm, that's the main message, really. Uh, belonging has nothing to do with a place. I do acknowledge and, and respect those that see the place and have a different relationship with land and place. But to me, that was the understanding that I can belong anywhere and nowhere. Mm-hmm. My condition, the fact that I was uprooted um, from what I call home, made me realize that, took me to that place. Because when I was here, during the initial stages of, of, of culture shock, I then eventually 
ended up letting go a few elements that I thought were key and fundamental to me in my culture. So finding myself back home and, and having them asking me things like uh, on a day-to-day basis, like, oh, you're acting different. You're doing this different. This is not how we do here. Kind of made me to question, where do I belong then? Because by all means, I thought I do belong here and no one would question that. Mm-hmm. You know? So that propelled me to that place of trying to figure out what is belonging? Where do I belong? At the end of each of the chapters, there's a little bit of homework for people to do. Now, that gets down to the whole reason uh, mm. that you wrote the book there, is that you're hoping that it will engage people and get them thinking about some, mm. of, the, some of the key messages that you want to get across. Yes, absolutely. Just trying to make people pay attention to the silent voices in the sense that as they do reflect on that exercise they are in a, in a way allowing to feel themselves in the shoe of a migrant and try to understand what really happens in the life of a migrant when they're trying to adjust, mm-hmm. trying to integrate. So it's a call out to try and bring back the quiet voices of a migrant that is asking for a bit of understanding and empathy. Mm-hmm. Within any of our communities, there are lots of migrants. One of the interesting things that you said was uh, that there was, of course, a great number of Sudanese refugees who came out here several years ago. And that was something that mm. you had found, that um, mm. that there was an, an, a need for an understanding and differentiation there. Yeah, actually mm. there is, because that's one of the things that I've used to cope during the shock because uh, let's face, sometimes you can come across people that they clearly state, you don't look like us, you do have accent, you have a different skin, therefore you don't belong. So that can make you feel like an outsider. As you feel an outsider, you try to find coping mechanisms. And one of them is that one where you just stay with people that look like you, speak your language. You find yourself in a little immigration trap. You want to hang with those that speak like you because you're afraid to go out and mix so that's a not a good... I know it's a, a coping mechanism that migrants do tend to use, yeah. but I don't encourage that. It doesn't help. It doesn't allow you to understand what belonging is. It doesn't help you to try and explore where, uh, the question of where do I belong. It just keeps you in that place, comfortable, inverted commas, for a long time and blocks you from actually finding your true freedom to belong anywhere and nowhere at the same time. Interestingly, though, uh, with the book, you did actually have a fairly serious look at this whole idea of racism, though, mm. and that is always going to be a problem. Yeah, it is, unfortunately, I guess. As I do mention in the book, it's, it's really important to look inside and say, what are the practical outcomes of my behavior? Are they, are they being racially oppressive? If the answer is yes, so chances are that you are a racist, mm-hmm. so which is not a good thing. But again, we can work on that. And I do believe that one of the tools is, even by reflecting on the question at the end of the chapter, just trying to find your place and, and see what can you do in terms of helping navigate racism. Let's face it, it's uncomfortable to talk about race. But we have to talk about it, right? Otherwise, the ideology of race against race and division will prevail, and in the end, we will all lose. While writing this book, I was having a chat with a white Australian friend of mine about race and discrimination in the light of a few incidents I experienced. My son was called the names and bullied at school because of his skin color. Racist jokes were thrown at him countless times. He complained at the school, I complained as well, and eventually we ended up moving schools to reduce the damage. 
So when I tried to talk to my friend about this, despite so much personal evidence, he appeared to want to avoid the conversation at all costs. His posture was that it was only a random incident and nothing as big as I was projecting. When he left, I felt so disappointed that he was, like many of us are, in complete denial and refused to accept that racism exists, instead believing that these things never happen. But in a way, I'm glad he reacted that way in front of me. It helped me confirm the idea that no one likes to talk about this, to admit it. His attitude did not surprise me. Although it's not a good idea to reject the existence of racism, as we cannot heal what we do not acknowledge. I once watched a talk by Jonathan Three entitled Systemic Racism. The presenter explains that for some people, it is actually uncomfortable to discuss race issues, mainly because no one likes to be labeled as racist. He suggested that perhaps one way to start the conversation is by asking ourselves, what are the practical outcomes of my behavior? Are they racially oppressive? He then asserts that if the answer is yes, then chances that you are racist. The issue is that as long as we continue to refuse to acknowledge racism, it will be even harder to address. We can only address what we are aware of. Newcastle boasts some award-winning and inspired authors who live and work in our city. You can access some of these stories and more via Newcastle Library's website or app. You've been uh, uh, involved with the uh, the African societies and the African student societies yes. here as, as well, and now you're there as, as, as vice president. Uh, I mean, has yeah. that been making a big difference? Let me highlight that I've always been interested in those um, issues of migrants finding ways to provide some support to empower them. Now, to your question, I think a lot of work needs needs to be done. That's why I funded what it cross-cultural transition consultancy services. I basically want to empower migrants into understanding what is culture, what it does to you, how can you um, navigate life in a foreign land. There's not much support for migrants. I've developed two courses so far. One is called Cultural Transitions Fundamentals, mm-hmm. and then the other one is called Cultural Transitions Advanced. Under the fundamentals one, I try to make a migrant aware of what is culture and how it affects your life. Because as we know, culture, it's a combination of values, norms, and beliefs that you see life through. And each culture has its own value system. Where you're coming from, your host nation, there's no right or wrong. So the point is, what do you do when those two collide? So this is what I want them to investigate. I want, I, I mean, sorry, to reflect on. Then I've developed the advanced one where I talk about the, the history of multiculturalism in Australia, unconscious bias, and what our migration does to your cultural identity and sense of belonging. Why is that? I want to, the migrant to take agency for integration. I want them to be empowered, not hopeless. Like, what can I do? We actually have the power to leverage this change, mm-hmm. this social change. Yeah. My experiences with meals at friends' houses were my cultural tipping point. Dinner invites no longer excited me as they used to back in Mozambique. I kind of now know what to expect. Before you judge, let me tell you what a dinner invite looks like in Mozambique. It's a feast, a food celebration. 
it's about the foods, the best recipes being served and the best dining set and cutlery as well. Everything matches from the way we set the table to the style of food we serve, from entrees to desserts. We do lunch at the table as well as dinner at the table with family. So receiving my first lunch invite made me really happy. I was going to enjoy a lunch experience like back home, but only in Australia. I went with that expectation, my African lunch and dinner expectation. The table was set and the meal served. I sat and ate bread with filling. It was a sandwich, people. Yep, bread, cheese, tomato and ham as a meal for lunch. Actually, I ate my sandwich. I hoped that the main meal would come soon, but that, my friends, did not happen. The sandwich was it. I received another invite and it was for dinner this time. I was carrying high hopes that this would be different, that my food experience would be redeemed. The table was set once again. Food was brought to the table. We had meat and vegetables. I ate. In my mind, I was searching for the flavors that were familiar, but the food tasted different, completely different. It was not challenging. I could not find the taste of herbs, spices, and garlic on it. I struggled to eat it. I have to admit, but I did. Most of the dining experience that I have had had follows this same trend. This is a significant difference between the food here and back home. So each dinner invite I received would come with higher hopes that it would be different until I realized that that was just the way it was. I've always prayed that the miracle would take place, that someone somewhere or the gods of the food perhaps would whip up something more exotic. I eventually came up with this strategy. I decided to eat before I would go to any friend's house for dinner. At some stage, I began to appreciate my food heritage and realize how lucky I was to have such a wide variety of flavors on my plate just for one meal. But the real negative side of all this was that I constantly found myself unfairly comparing countries and their food. I found myself sometimes thinking, at least my food is better than theirs. This is what comparison does. It causes you to judge and measure things and see one above or below the other. When we compare, we feel better and bigger. We create an illusion that we are better and bigger. Perhaps a mechanism to avoid looking at ourselves. Perhaps to avoid realizing that something is to change in us as well. It could be that at that time, I did not want to allow cultural transition to take place. To admit that I needed to adjust. Admitting this need to adjust would mean that maybe I had to give up on something. My previous culture. It could be that I did not want to change at all or that I completely rejected the possibility of embracing a new culture, new place. Or maybe I was just comfortable with my familiar ways of doing life, work, culture, dressing and food. Perhaps I even resented some of the unfair things in life like poverty and world income inequality. And maybe I was trying to grasp how there can be only one God and yet two different worlds economically and politically different. My decision to fight and resist was a response to all this. Comparing was my cure and looking down on other ways of life with judgment was my compensation. Little did I know that all was going to be challenged, changed and is changing still. I am a migrant 
and my current circumstances have led me to write this book. When I first came to Australia, I knew I was going to stay here permanently, but I was not aware that I would have to go through the essential process of cultural transition. I resisted the process. I was not aware that sometimes this process also included a wandering, unstable state of mind. Homesickness was with me all the time. I constantly compared things back home with things here in my host nation. When I look back now, I see I desperately wanted to fit in as quickly as I could, but for so long I felt lost and confused. I had misunderstood fitting in as belonging. I just could not fit in. I struggled to have the friendships I longed for, and I could not find my tribe, my people. I was wondering. I was not conscious of the truth that if I did not handle cultural transition properly, this wandering state of mind I was in could delay or even inhibit the process of belonging I needed. After a while, I moved into a place where I had to make a decision as to whether I should continue to rely on my established identity to filter events or not. And if yes, which nation should I defend? Eventually, I began to let go of my views and embrace the new possible ways of happiness. I began to cultivate a dual citizenship mindset instead of being deeply tied to the ideology of my home country. I started to allow a more hybrid identity, a mixed cultural format. And this led me to another place, a new place. This is the awakening. This is when freedom came. This new identity propelled me to another stage and I realized that it could be that belonging had nothing to do with being in a geographical space or nation. It had to do with just knowing where you belong in your spirit and mind. Then that multicultural and mixed identity you develop can no longer be confined by space or nation. The mind has been exposed so much and expanded into higher dimension. Belonging is no longer about a place but about internal spiritual identity assurance. Your idea of belonging there, with uh, which is, is what the book is all about, is your idea, once you looked at what Australia being your host country was and home in Mozambique was your home country, mm. you then came to a realisation of belonging. There's a lovely quote uh, there from Maya Angelou where you had saying, you're only free when you realise that you belong no place, you belong every place. No place at all. The price is high and the reward is great. And that idea that you had of saying, you know, you can reconcile. I live in two places, but no places. But I'm a, you said, I'm a, I'm a person of the world. And we all should be a person of the world, which I think will mm. give more understanding between people. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you did mention at the, be at the beginning, we are migrants on this earth in one way or the other. So... The concept of home and belonging, belonging to humanity, citizen of the world, it needs to be embraced. And if you can understand that, I think it also helps, means you can understand other people, oh, yes. but also understand yourself even more. The most important thing, understanding yourself and your place in the world. You do tackle some very hard subjects. The whole book, though, is a book of hope, <laughs> though, isn't it? Yes, I think. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There is hope. We're not trapped as a migrant. We're not. We, there's no point on feeling like, where is home, who I am now? I know that's a question you need to ask yourself, but there is hope. And I guess when you dig in into the real definition of belonging, there lies the foundation. Mm -hmm. mm, it's a mindset. Where, where next? Is there another another book in you? Yes, there is. One to come, a follower. Actually, two to come after this. 
mm-hmm. it's a follow-up on, on, on my journey of blending culture, what happens next after that. So a reconciliation of of all those cultural aspects that I've been exposed to. I've got I've got a kids version for this one. Young adults yeah, or what, young, what migrants. Of, young, young migrants. Young migrants. Mum was born somewhere else. They grew up mm-hmm. here. Identity issues there, cultural right. identity. Where is home? It's like when I go to school it's true pure Aussie culture. But yeah, when yeah. I go home, it's culture from wherever mom and dad grew up. So right. it's another Family unit cultures yeah. colliding same space. So freedom to belong from Mozambique to Australia, my journey of blended cultures. Dr. Elsa Lakumba, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to Notable Newcastle Authors. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to keep our story going. This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real Production.